So here on 15 Minutes of Mental Toughness, Rob Cast, I know you're going to absolutely love the guest today. Our guest today is a global, global golf instructor. Uh, I've had the pleasure of talking with him. I think he's a fantastic guy. Uh, you know, was a four-time All-American at uh, Columbus State. Uh, is still the director of golf there at Columbus State. And, and interesting about his transformation from being a player into his true passion into coaching and teaching. Uh, he's worked with, uh, obviously, you know, in- incredible players from Larry Mize and Louis Ustase in to, uh, to his younger brother, who I'm sure we'll get to that story, um, is, a, is, a, is, a, is, a, is an author. Um, has an awesome podcast out there called On The Mark, and you can hear him doing play-by-play uh, every week on PJ Tour. Our guest is Mark Immelman. Mark, thanks for joining us, man. Hey, man, it's my pleasure. I, I'm, I'm honored that you get that you asked me to join your show because you're the preeminent guy when it comes to dealing with mental toughness, in my opinion. I mean, getting you on my podcast here recently, it went nuts, brother. I mean, you've got such a big following, and, and so... Yeah, I, I was happy to reciprocate. Honestly, I'm really honored. Thank you. Oh, awesome. Well, I, I do a good job of asking questions. That's that's about all I can do. <laughs> well, you and I got a problem then, because I'm the question asker too. So let's see how this goes. We'll get like uh, the Socratic method going on here. Uh-huh. So uh, we always kick it off on mental toughness. Talk to us about mental toughness. What's it mean to you? I were, you know, I'm fortunate in that a lot of what I know is is sort of wisdom from the ages and I've been fortunate to spend time with a, around a bunch of really you know influential people and great minds in the game and great minds in life I would say before the game and and I would say mental toughness is a life sort of a deal and, and it certainly applies to uh, my code and golf definitely and and so my thoughts on mental toughness come from Gary Player and I'll share personal anecdotes um, back in 2008 when my brother was leading the Masters. He'd been leading for three days straight and it played beautifully the whole time, a couple 68s and I think 69 Saturday and really hadn't put a foot wrong. I think, you know, it was way up the field in in greens and regulation, was putting well. And that evening, uh, Mr. Player called him and uh, the gist of the conversation went, look, Trevor, tomorrow's going to be hard work and there's going to be adversity and you've got to be a big boy about this. And when Trevor shared the anecdote with me after the call, I was struck and it got me to thinking because here's a guy who's clearly on point. He's in full command of the entire game. He had a World Golf Hall of Famer, multiple major champion, Grand Slam winner. Gary Player says to him, hey bud, it's going to be hard work tomorrow and there's going to be adversity and there's going to be an uphill climb and you've got to be a big boy about this. And lo and behold, like a Prophet, Mr. Player was right. I mean, on, from the first whole Sunday, it, the weather was ghastly when I got to the golf course. I mean, those big lolly trees were just kind of blowing back and forth in the wind. And, and Trevor bogeyed the first, and he's in the final group with Brant Snedeker and Brant Eagle the second. And all of a sudden, his, his lead disappeared. But I could see Trevor sort of dig in, and he made a nice par on three, uh, made a fantastic up and down on four. And then he, you, you could see how the wheels sort of gained traction. And I looked at this, I'm like, all right, you know, looks like he's getting this. And then he built his lead, made a phenomenal save from the left bunker of nine. 10, 11 were playing so hard. 11, he holds his putt from off the green for par. And I'm like, we are styling now because Tiger's making a charge out in front and Paul Casey's behind him and Paul's hit one in the water and Brandt is kind of going bad. And, and then Trevor hits it on a gust of breeze over the back of 12 into the 
bushes over there and makes about six feet downhill for bogey. But bounces right back with a birdie on um, 13, pars 14. Now he's got a five stroke lead. And then he hits it in a hazard on 16. I mean, I, I, I was nervous up until he hit the ball on the green on 15, the third shot into the breeze. And then he hits it in a hazard on 16. I'm like, are you kidding? And I have Mr. Player playing back in my ear going, it's gonna be an uphill climb. Trevor makes an unreal path save from the front bunker on 17. It's in the middle of 18 fairway with a three stroke lead. And we get there, well he gets there, he tells me afterwards, and the ball's in the middle of a divot. Mm. And now the job's not done, and so, I guess long-winded and anecdotally to, to answer your question, I think um, mental toughness is a function of dealing with adversity. And, and, and no great endeavor anywhere, be it in business or sport or, or life or marriage or whatever, doesn't come without being able to manage your way through those adverse moments and those challenging moments. And so mental toughness, I guess, is, is the stick-to-itiveness. It, it's the understanding of the situation. It's the embracing of the situation. And, and more than anything else, it's just the, the keeping on, you know, because through two holes of the final round of the Masters, Trevor could have packed it in, you know, even though he was in the final group and things were going the wrong way and then he just kept digging in. So mental toughness for me is, is definitely being able to deal with adversity and having a presence of mind to, to, to just keep your nose to the grindstone and keep pedaling. Yeah, awesome. Wow, that's a good story there, man. <laughs> yeah, well, look, it's still kind of surreal as I recount the thing because to think of um, 2008, my brother winning the Masters, it was like a dreams come true and as I look behind you on the wall there, the, the Masters flag, it's a very special event and with Bob Jones being my hero, you know, to watch your kid brother, you know, someone who you were teaching at the time and helping, you know, win the Masters was a life-changing sort of an event. Yeah, absolutely. So, I always ask everybody about their hinge moment. Mm -hmm. um, and I know you have one, obviously, with your brother. Um, <laughs> I would love it if you shared this story. What, what, what's that one moment where, uh, where everything changed? Well, as a young guy growing up in South Africa, rugby's our uh, our number one sport over there. Um, rugby, soccer, and then the fringe sports, the kind of golf and tennis. Spring box. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I had designs after I was too small to play rugby and I broke my bone arm and stuff a few times. I got into golf as a 13 year old and all of a sudden I wanted to be the best golfer in the world. And I had a moderately successful college career and I was like, okay, we're on the up. And I went home for Christmas vacation um, summertime down there and, and winter over here and, and I got there and so my brother and I obviously play golf. I'm about nine years older than him so I'm and you're an all stage. And you're an All-American. Yeah, <laughs> I was, yeah, I'd won a couple times that year and I was sort of on top of my little world and uh, I get back and it's, see, we're just going to play golf, you know, two brothers and I'm nine years older than him about and and so I had this cool hat and in South Africa we didn't get the cool stuff like you do here in America at the time and this little guy Trevor wanted my hat so I was like well I'll play you for it and on the last hole I'm playing pretty slow I'm a few under par but on the last hole he's got about 10 feet to beat me and he knocks this thing he hits his putt and it, it's going in one direction and when he goes down the hole he just kind of looked up he stayed in posture and just sort of pumped his fist at me like this and I was like okay um this is for real. I'd heard he was good. I hadn't seen him play for a while. And it got me to thinking because for a while after that, uh, my designs on becoming the best golfer in the world were kind of 
ruined by my younger brother. So I couldn't beat my household, let alone beat the rest of the world. So I would certainly say there was a hinge moment and maybe it sort of spurred me in the direction that I took as, as a golf instructor, coach, mentor, that sort of thing. Yeah, and, and talk to us about that, because I mean, I love that. I mean, you have a, a younger brother, obviously 13. I mean, that's a special gift. Uh -huh. when, um, when that started you down then the teaching realm, the instruction realm a little bit. I mean, what what made all the difference, you know, in, in that part of your life? Well, I'd always been the guy who was very interested in how it worked. Uh, and apparently after I started doing this, my dad said to me, he's like, you know, when you were a kid, you told us you wanted to become a teacher. And mm -hmm. lo and behold, I get to teach my passion in golf now and then. And, and so it was a natural sort of a thing for me. I, I went and worked as a sports agent for a while because they made me an offer that I couldn't really understand. And, and I felt like serendipity pulled me back to where I was going because I was always wanting to be out there and, and help, sort of helping people with their game. And, and things sort of progressed and, and I moved along as an instructor and having Trevor as a, a young client, I mean, he came out in the pros and won very early and beat Ernie else down the stretch and I was his instructor at the time so it almost kind of legitimized me at the time. Um, I wasn't just Trevor's brother although I, I would remain that for a long time and uh, that being said you know if I look back at to what I did then and what I know now I just wish you know I'd had the benefit of all the experience and the knowledge I do now so it, things were it was a very blessed journey for me, I, I must say. It's not been without its hiccups, but uh, I would say once I'd committed to the instruction and I committed to being true to Mark, um, things started going in the right direction. And so when you look back, like what's, what's, the, what's the best part about being a, an instructor and a coach? Yikes. Uh, you, you know what I, I've, I've, I've come to appreciate? I've come to appreciate communication. Um, because I've realized quickly enough, and I'm sure you can attest to this, you know, my message is only as good as what it's received. Mm -hmm. And so I've appreciated as my, in my growth and, and my maturation as a, a, a person and a teacher, I've appreciated um, communication, understanding people, nonverbal communication, just finding ways to connect with a person, finding ways to help a person cultivate their ability and it's very rewarding um, when you see a person fulfill their purpose and, and achieve their goals. Not that that happens all of the time and not that it doesn't happen without um, its challenges, but it, it's a very rewarding sort of a deal. But I think the biggest thing for me that I've come to appreciate and it's helped me as a person is that I've understood that as a teacher we have a tremendous responsibility. and. Um, you know, you can't just show up there willy-nilly and just take wild guesses on someone. You know, you are, you, you are basically on the watch post for someone for a while as long as you remain employed by them. And, and they are in your, in your, you are their counsel and, and you're responsible for them. And so, you know, as I talk through it, I realize what a, what a blessed sort of a environment it is. Yeah, absolutely. And with, um, what, what would you recommend in terms of, like communication, because we're always, I mean, we know the importance of it, and we know the importance of, of body language, and we hear it all the time. What's what's one of those uh, nuggets of information that you've just really found to be valuable? I'll share one again, as I, as, as I say, I'm, I'm basically a professional reminder, and, and a lot of my stuff comes from folks that are way smarter than me, and one of those is my dad. And when I started teaching, he said, 
a few things to me and he said, but the most important thing I want to say to you, and my dad was not a teacher, he was just a, a, a guy that came up hard, you know, he worked hard for what he achieved. And he said to me, don't be afraid to say, I don't know. Mm. And so in other words, just be very, very honest with a person because, you know, when things aren't going, you're right. And someone's paying you a fee for, for your knowledge, you know, and then the next thing you're behind your eyeballs going, what on earth am I supposed to do? You have to then gravitate to life's purest form and there's, there's love and there's honesty. So don't be afraid to say you don't know. And then secondly, don't be afraid to listen. You know, it's amazing for me as a teacher how if you had to record a lesson of mine, you would hear me asking you questions a lot, you know, as I've heard playbacks, because the more I can connect with you, the more you can let me know what you're feeling, what you're thinking, you know, where your emotions are, the whole thing, not just the hands and the feet of it, the more it empowers me to connect with you more. So I would sort of say, don't be afraid to say, I don't know. And, and, and then just make sure, you know, like God said, I've got two ears and one mouth. So there's a message in, in that nonverbal cue. So yeah. listen hard. You know, it's, it's interesting you say that because uh, I've, I've seen, I've seen lessons obviously take place and, you know, there'll be one viewpoint from the instructor and they'll say, well, everything looks great, but mm. the player just doesn't feel it. Yeah. You know, and they, they, I mean, and it really doesn't matter what it looks like. It matters, I guess, what they're feeling. Well, that's where a good instructor too, you know, if a good instructor honestly believes in what he or she is doing and, and he or she knows for sure that, okay, we're on the right track, even though the player's not feeling there because, you know, you're a, a beautiful amalgamation of mind, body, spirit, soul, hands, feet, you know, all sort of stuff. And you do your best when there's a harmony there. You know, if the instructor can see the physicalities going on, but maybe something else has just got a bit of a burr in the saddle, the instructor will find another way to package the same information so that it just kind of breaks through. But that's where Butch Harmon is a master. I mean, you watch him on the range and he just, next thing you'll, he'll be telling a joke to someone just to loosen the mood something and all or something. And all of a sudden, you know, this guy's hitting rocket rifle shots down the fairway because Butch hasn't told him anything. Now he's just connected with him holistically. So, 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 so therein lies the big challenge. And I think therein lies the experience too, because once one becomes comfortable as a teacher and you become comfortable in the fact that you can communicate and you can navigate your way around roadblocks because they will show up, I, I think then panic doesn't occur. And so then you can just sort of ease into yourself and more be sometimes just the person who puts the hand on the guy or the girl's shoulder and says, we got this, I'm with you until you figure this out. You know, when it comes to, you know, mental toughness again, what what do you think that people need to know in, in terms of how to be mentally tough? That's a really good question. I, I, you know, if I knew the answer completely, I guess I, our roles would be reversed. But I know this about mental toughness is that no great endeavor has ever come overnight. You know, the, the proverbial overnight success has taken a long time and lots of blood and sweat and tears. And, and we've got a, a couch here in our house. It's an old beaten up thing and we were gonna get rid of it. But then my wife Tracy said we couldn't because she calls it the, the crying couch because we've had so many young touring professionals come into our house because we opened the house up for them. And they've sat there and the next thing, it's basically tears as they're unloading on us and sharing the 
trials and the tribulations of this thing that everyone thinks is so glamorous. And so mm. I want to say the mental toughness, you've just got to constantly remind yourself that it, it it's a continual uphill climb. And again, I get back to Mr. Player, you know, scaling Mount Everest. If you think of the folks who have done that or, you know, great discoverers like Columbus or Magellan or something, you know, I, I can imagine the heartache and the trial and the tribulation and, and, and the folks go through. So I would say mental toughness, it certainly takes continual reminder to say, I've just got to keep doing what I know I've got to do. And each day you just got to wake up and keep doing that sort of thing. And you'll know you'll have, you'll have glimpses where you kind of touch heaven and then you'll fall back down again and then you just keep doing the same thing. And, and but, but I think to that mental toughness thing, the one thing is I've seen from young players and, and successful golfers I've worked with, they, once they figure out the recipe, they remain very true to that. Mm. Now they don't go chopping and changing in the hopes of finding some sort of a holy grail. Yeah. And that takes mental toughness too, to be able to be so resilient and so comfortable with oneself and comfortable with what you know and what who you are, to be able to not look over at the next sec next sexy thing and go, oh, maybe that's the, the key. So, I would say it's just, you've got to just hang in there and remind yourself of it. It's one step at a time, left foot, right foot, left. And then, you know, learn to love yourself and, and learn to know if you, once you know something for sure, stick to that. You know, I think that's one of the keys. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting to see that a lot. I mean, the flavor of the month and what somebody's doing. The PGA Tour, yeah. The PGA Tour, it's like, I, I joke with folks, I'm like, my job, as a broadcaster is so much easier than my job as a teacher yet my discipline is as a teacher because as a teacher I could do everything right but it's like a revolving door out there you know you've in this, in this morning and you're out this afternoon and then you're back in a few weeks so it's moving like that where when you're dealing with a broadcast you turn that thing on you turn it off and it's off for a while where you when you're dealing with human beings it, it's you've got all of these other factors that are brought to bear so as, as an instructor, it's this continual revolving door. In the PGA Tour, man, there's always something new and everyone's got the eyes and the ears on stocks trying to figure out who's doing what and who, yeah. where's the next great thing. And yeah, and I'm sure you can attest to that. Well, and that's what's interesting. That, that Then it's the difference between somebody searching and somebody practicing. Kind of what you You've hit the nail on the head. You've said it so much more eloquently and succinctly to what I did. I mean, there's, there's the, there are the searchers, the holy grail, sort of thing I was talking about and then they're the folks that know who they are and they stick to who they are and they do who they are and, and, and they're comfortable with the process and they're comfortable with the fact that, you know, this may take a little while. It's yeah. a bit of a marathon to use a cliche. And when you're broadcasting, um, you know, we always talk about the zone and, and flow and just when everything's just going right. Do you, do you hit that in the broadcast booth? Um, yeah, there, there are moments. I, I would say for me, it's it's quite a spiritual sort of a thing because I, I spend time a little bit before each broadcast and just close my eyes and I just sort of try to settle down and pray. And, and I I just let this peace, if you will, come over me. And there are times certainly where I've listened to playbacks. I'm like, oh, goodness gracious, that, I'm not that smart. And then there are times when there's been a lot of thought going on because I'm not there that I can see that, you know, I. I well, obviously, I'm looking back, so I have the benefit of hindsight, but I can sense how, okay, I was searching for something over there. So, yeah, there's times when you get those purple patches as well. But the key, too, is just to 
again, just be comfortable with yourself. And if you get pitched some question or some situation erupts or whatever, you just got to kind of pedal your way through the thing, you know, <laughs> you'll survive in the end. Yeah, that's good. I, um, you know, with, um, when it comes to like spirituality, uh, how, how do you see spirituality in golf? Um, you know, playing out or, or, you know, being incorporated in one's development and one's life? Um, I would say golf is a very, very spiritual kind of a game. Um, because you could do all the right things and it won't work out. And then sometimes just fate can sort of smile on you and it will work out. You know, sometimes you get the perfect shot and, and the ball end up in a divot like my brother had in the final hole of the Masters, or sometimes you get a poor shot and it bounces off something and goes in the hole. So, so there's this element of um, uncontrollability about it. And so because of that, it lets, sort of puts the human being in the human being's place. And, you know, it, it, if you keep your eyes wide open and you just go through it with that sort of a mindset, you can see to say, okay, well, all I can do on this given shot is do my very best. And I can try and apply what I've been working on. And then once I've hit it, I'm like, done. Whatever happens, is, there's a spiritual, there's a fate, if you will, to it. Um, because you can have ultimate control of the spin of the ball. That's why, as I step off the subject, now maybe this is a purple patch moment here. I watch social media and I interview these folks for our podcast. And they talk about, pardon me, let, let me turn this thing off. I, they, I talk about control of the golf ball. And they talk about, you know, controlling spin and all the rest of it. And then I want to sort of say to them, you hitting this thing off a living object in the grass, you're hitting it through a moving substance, which is the, the atmosphere, the air. You know, anything's likely to happen at any time and you're not even burying. All these launch monitors and stuff don't have a button for, you know, what's going on inside here or over here. And um, they, they just measure a very sort of finite, concrete sort of a, a, a interaction. So. That's why the whole golf thing to me is so spiritual because you can do all the right things and it, it might work out or it might not. But the spiritual element of it, the, the, the comfortability with self, you know, the, the understanding of where you're grounded uh, spiritually and, and, and faith-wise can help you to deal with the fact that, okay, I might, I've, I've done all the right things but it hasn't worked out. I'm not going to define myself by the score that I've just made or by the shot that I just hit. Because a great piece of advice I got from Steve Elkington was, I was asking him about some great players he played with, and he said, you know, one thing about Arnold Palmer, he said, I think, I think Elk said to me that Palmer said to him, I became comfortable with being embarrassed. Mm. You know, because when you're standing there on the 18th green and you've got five feet and whatever to win and you miss, you know, how many sets of eyeballs are on one? Right. You could crawl into your shell. Where, So that, that's again where I think the faith and, and just the, the fact that you're grounded in something bigger and, and, and more mighty than you are will, will sort of help you navigate those turbulent waters. Yeah, absolutely. It. Um, yeah, I bet you had some good... Well, Elk would have uh, plenty of good stories for you. <laughs> <laughs> he's a fantastic listener. He's a great mind, you know. He's Folks, he, he gets a bit of grief because, well, look, I respect him because he call, he speaks his mind, you know, and he, perhaps he's a little caustic at times and he rubs folks up the wrong way, but that's who Steve Elkington is. But. If you catch him, he is just a wealth of information. And, and he's another golfer who, you know, when I had him on the podcast, he spoke about the fact that he was true to lessons he got from his childhood instructor, even to when he was a major champion. Hmm. Wow. Hmm. Let me let me ask you one more question here, and this just kind of popped my head. So, 
with with putting and putters um i've always seen it and i'm just curious on like your point but we're they're always trying to get back to the way that they used to putt and <laughs> and then all of a sudden they're going to go back and they, you know i putted with this putter five years ago and i putted so great with it and then they put it back into play it's the gamer and they just go great with it do you see that a lot I do, but you, you know, you've also got to keep a certain reality about the thing. And, and the reality of the matter is, you're five, you're five years older, and so the feel may have changed. All you're invoking is, you know, those good feelings from way back there, because you're like, okay, I've made putts with this thing. But the truth for all putters is, you've made putts with everything. Yeah. You know, um, what I think is more apropos when it comes to the change of the putter is instead of going back to what you were, go back to finding your neutral. Because. What, what do you mean by that? Uh, well, fly, hitting a golf ball is like flying an airplane. You know, the, a pilot needs thrust and he needs to know where his wings are. So he needs a, a, the altimeter and he needs the, the horizon. And he can be flying through the, 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 the clouds and he may be off horizon. If he's, if he's off, he's not going to make his destination. And your golf ball is the same way. So golf is a constant ebb between moving left and moving right. And folks who go wrong, in my estimations, make drastic accommodations. I mean, they just veered off course ever so slightly, but the, the arc that they're on takes them what feels like way away from the goal, where when they left where they were going, they were just a degree or so off. And then they make some drastic accommodation and they go the other way. And the next thing, this airplane is just getting tossed back and forth from left to right. Where if you kind of know where your neutral is, where you know where your point of diminishing returns is, you know, you can go and find that. And, and I think that when the players go back to an old putter, they're going back to a place where maybe it's set up in their hands and it got them neutrally or back into their neutral sort of posture or it yeah. got them back to a better ball position or just something where they've played from. And it certainly helps the, the, the mental psyche too when you've got something in your hand, you're like, you know, I made that 30 footer to win the tournament with this thing. I mean, yes, the gamer. Right. What, um, can you give another example about, you know, just getting back to neutral, one, uh -huh. one that you would see? Well, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, if you make it completely physical and you leave the, the headspace out of the thing, um, it's understanding ball position, it's understanding body weight distribution, um, I, you know, it's understanding what the triggers were for your movements. You know, I, when the, the problem with the golf swing as I see it, if you watch a swing, a playground swing, a pendulum, whatever, it's a moving back and forth thing, and it's, it's very reliable, and it's highly well, it's highly timed. I mean, everything about it is perfect. It's very symmetrical. Yet the problem with a golf swing is you've got to start this from a stop. You've got to start this thing from a standstill. So finding the rhythm to make this thing replicate is difficult. And so getting back to your neutral means the ball, to me, the ball position's in the right place. The symmetry of the stroke's there. The rhythm is there. You know, maybe it might be that you start this mechanism off with your little forward press you used to have, or maybe it triggers out of your back. It's it's finding kind of where what you were instead of just suddenly going to try something else. Like, um, like I, yeah, recently Jordan Spieth changed putters drastically. So they they built the thing to kind of match the way his gamer would perform, and he qualified his change by saying it was an alignment aid because he felt like his alignment was off, that's why he was missing putts. I looked at this, I'm like, wow, that's a pretty big departure from the norm for someone who wasn't really putting that badly. And so thankfully for Jordan, and it's proved fruitful because the next week he went back to his old putter and 
last week at the Memorial, the same thing. He's back with his old one and you can see Jordan's starting to do, he's found his neutral again. And uh, so I, I think for the golfers who are ever listening here, ball position, eye line, posture, body weight where you are, swing symmetry, swing timing, and all these sorts of things, they are kind of know where you were and go and search for that. And if you've got a, a putter in, any putter in your hand, then you should do fine. Yeah, just fundamentals. <laughs> yeah, it's cliched, but you're right. Absolutely right. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, Mark, thank you so much for uh, for being on there and sharing your wisdom. That was uh, that was a great conversation, man. Where can where can people follow you uh, and learn more about you? I'm on Twitter um, at Mark underscore Immelman. The podcast uh, on the marks available on iTunes or Stitcher or TuneIn or at PGATour.com slash podcasts. Um, I have a website, MarkImmelman.com, but that I found is slightly informational, but more just a booking place for people for lessons. But I would say I'm, I'm very interactive on, on, on Twitter and Instagram, and so that's kind of where folks can find me. Or if they're watching PGA Tour Live or whatever, I'm, I'm there fairly often too. Good. Do you ever take any questions on there? Yeah. Nice. All yeah, all the time. <laughs> Thank you so much, man. It's my pleasure. You take care.